0: Tom Kissingberry here. Nah, I'm just kidding. We don't have Tom Kissingberry money. It's just me, Peter Howard, and Jake Anderson meeting at the Dynasty Crossroads once a week for 30 minutes to talk about one player at a time. We look at the film with Jake, we talk about the analytics with me, and we try to come to a consensus. We do have a pretty cool theme song, though.
1: Peter crunches numbers and Jake just grinds that tape.
0: All right, super friends. Before we get started with this episode... Just have to say a couple quick things here. First of all, I'm truly sorry that I had to miss this episode. I was on my way to Canton, Ohio, to for the Midwest Fantasy Football Expo uh, to meet up with so many uh, great analysts around the fantasy football community. So thank you, first of all, to uh, to Stompy and to James for holding it down for me in my absence. Also, just a a quick apology uh, from all of us. The audio quality. On this episode is nowhere near the standards that we usually hold it to here on the Superflex Super Show. But I certainly hope that you can look past that and enjoy the episode because it's a very good, very fun one, uh, despite the, uh, the, the poor audio quality. Uh, but the bigger thing is uh, our, our special guest tonight uh, is actually not a guest. Um, it doesn't. It isn't mentioned in this episode, but uh, so I want to announce it here. I wish I had had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Ryan Miller on this episode because because we are welcoming him in as the newest co-host of the Superflex Super Show. This is his first his first episode, uh, and since then, um, since this was recorded, became an official co-host of the super show so ryan congratulations uh thank you for for joining the team and uh man really looking forward to working with you and uh talking with you throughout this nfl season so without further ado james the brain stompy sam and the newest member of the super flex super show ryan miller
1: Week, football.com, and the DLF family of podcasts, that's Sam
2: Stompy Lane. Did you guys know that the Earth is hollow? I, I did not I did not know that. There's also Nazis in the hollow Earth.
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know what? Now that you mention it, I did hear that, for sure. Uh, that is Ryan the human, human stat machine, Miller, What's up, guys?
3: D.D. Westbrook is a Dynasty wide receiver, too, and you can't tell me otherwise.
2: Oh, I like you a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got best friends on the pod now. I'm James the Brain, and this is the Superflex Super Show. So today I'm standing in for John, the absent Hogue, who is not going to be with us today. But that's all right, because we've got Stompy, and we have Ryan Miller Joining us as a guest, Ryan is from DLF. You can find him on Twitter at Ryan Miller NFL. Ryan, tell all the people where they can find your content.
3: Yep. So most of my stuff hits Twitter first at Ryan Miller NFL, and then I'm writing at DiceLeagueFootball.com. So I've got some articles out there already and some more to come. So stay tuned for those.
1: Articles, chat, graphs, charts, basically anything that's, uh, that you could put out there, man. Really good stuff. I definitely encourage people to go check that out. Um, but today, we are going to come at you, and we're going to do an episode of our Super 6. So, um, our Super 6, we're going to start out with the top six fantasy risers and ballers for each position. We assigned positions to each of us here. So, Ryan, we're going to start out with you, man. We're going to go to the quarterback position. I think most people have heard from us about quarterbacks at nauseum so we wanted to get somebody else's perspective. So tell us your top six fantasy risers slash ballers at the quarterback position.
3: Yeah, so I'll give you I'll give you three of each. So this one this one's just for Stompy right here. But Lamar Jackson, he's been rising. Everybody saw his run yesterday. I've seen some people criticizing that he didn't check the ball down, but it was third and ten. I think it was a smart play. He ran it in, just shows off that athleticism, that rushing ability. He's got you know he's got Snead and Boykin as some possession guys, Marquise to stretch the field. They've got Ingram, so I mean I think he's got the the talent surrounding him this year that he might not have had last year. Nice. The reports, but
1: Ryan, I, I gotta ask. You. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but I've gotta ask you. You're a Steelers fan, is that right?
3: I am. So, so I as, love I loved uh, watching Lamar throw it last year.
1: Yeah, but as a Steelers fan, you're 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 coming around, to Lamar Jackson. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I didn't think I'd see the day. I saw him in college, too, because he played against my college team for two years. I saw him at home, and he just ran all over us. So that athletic ability is definitely there. It's it's something special to watch. And I'm starting to buy into these reports. I know it's all from the Ravens, and they're going to b- pump up their guy no matter what. But I'm starting to buy into it a little bit, especially at you know QB 15, 16 with the upside for top five every week. I, I mean, I like I like him as a dynasty asset.
2: I tell you what, I'm also rising with Lamar Jackson. Nothing. Nothing from any Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: I know. I know your uh your Chubb Lamar Jackson rising stack is uh is going up, Stompy, I'm sure.
3: Yes. All
1: right, Ryan. What what else you got for us at that quarterback spot?
3: Yeah, so Cam Newton. I'm I'm liking him. Uh I know Stompy's the the reigning Scott Fish Bowl champion, but Cam is my QB one in this year's Scott Fish Bowl. I, I like his. I've heard the, the you know the reports on his health it seems to be encouraging. Um, they you know they talk about McCaffrey wanting to, they want a goal line back for McCaffrey, and there's no real names that are out there right now. And I think one thing that's easy to forget is that Cam Newton can very easily be that goal line back for the Panthers. So he's got that opportunity that they're trying to take away from McCaffrey a little bit already. Whether or not that will actually lead to something, who knows. But that's some up, extra upside this year for Cam. You know, he's got Curtis Samuel and Greg Olson back. DJ Moore in year two. So, I mean, if you, if you like DJ Moore and you like Curtis Samuel, I don't know how you can't like Cam Newton as well. And you like McCaffrey. So, that offense, you know. Um, I wasn't really a big Cam guy before. But, you know, seeing him, seeing these reports this offseason, being able to watch all or nothing just as Cam on the person. You know, I'm starting to... I just kind of like Cam a little bit now, and so I'm in North Carolina. All my friends are Panthers fans. I've loved making fun of Cam Newton, but I think he's a good value this year, and in Dynasty going forward, too, with those wide receivers around him now that he's actually got some around him. So I'm liking Cam Newton this year, too, and I'm riding him in fishbowl.
2: This is probably the best set of skill position players that he's ever had in his career. Um, like you, yeah. like you mentioned, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, we'll see about Greg Olson. I, I don't even know if he has two feet. I think he's probably just <laughs> right. hobbling around on one foot, but he's got Ian Thomas right behind him who flashed last season. And of course, Christian McCaffrey. So, and, and lest we forget, he also has Chris Hogan as his wide receiver three. So this, it's going to be tough to say, but this could end up being a career year for cam and we've seen him be a QB one i think twice now and like top five multiple times so to say that this is his maybe his best season ever is saying something
1: yeah it's very, very yeah. interesting uh, with with cam newton because i think a lot of times we forget about the rushing upside that he has but yeah we we have seen A lot of people very high on Curtis Samuel this year. A lot of people very high on DJ Moore. And obviously Christian McCaffrey. I think you bring up a good point, Ryan. If you're high on those guys and the quarterback that's getting them the ball is going to have a fine year. So uh, definitely a a very interesting point that you bring up and uh, an argument to be made for Cam as a top five asset for sure.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so leading into that, like the mini Cam Newton, I would say for my third fantasy riser I think is Derek Carr I mean he's still I mean I get the Derek Carr hate it's understandable after last year but I mean top bottom six redraft ADP and basically left for scraps in a lot of dynasty leagues that I'm in I think I mean negative game scripts in Oakland should they be a thing they've got all the weapons from Josh Jacobs he can catch the ball they got Richard who caught 70 balls last year you know Darren Waller is a nice sleeper Antonio Brown Hunter Renfro is a possession guy. And I really like uh, Tyrell Williams this year. I think he's a huge value. I've been trying to pump him up on Twitter a lot, but it never really seems to get a response just because I don't think people are sold on Tyrell Williams to start with. But I think he's got a great role in that offense, and I think he's a buy low as well. And so along the same line, you know, I like all those weapons. I like the game script factor at the end of the games. You know, Derek Carr had some of those moments at the end of last year where he was just pumping up passes just to try to keep him relevant. So. For the price that Derek Carr's at, I mean, I think he's a great buy right now as well. And I'd, I'd take him over some of the other guys that are being picked in redraft, especially like some spots higher, like five or six spots higher, like Stafford and guys like that. Nick Foles is going above him in some leagues. So, I mean, I, I think Carr's a, I, I, I think he's a solid QB two, but he's priced at, you know, bottom QB3 redraft and a sneaky dynasty haul for sure. I think that contract's too rich to get rid of him anytime soon.
2: I I get it in terms of comparing it, especially over the last comparing him to the last two seasons. My issue with Carr is he is paired with Gruden, and Carr has never had a good A And and there's been an argument on Twitter recently about whether A dot's a quarterback stat or a wide receiver stat or coaching staff regardless he just has never had a good a dot throughout his career and then you're pairing him with a coach who schemes basically laterally so they do a lot of um halfback passes tight end passes they just and so you you just don't get that vertical passing game you would with a lot of those quarterbacks. So that's my issue with Carr. but yes, relative to his ADP value, I absolutely agree.
3: Yeah. And it's crazy too, because PFF, I don't know if it's because of small sample size or what, but he was the number one rated deep passer last year and Gruden still just kept hammering it laterally. It might've been the talent around there, but I mean, Tyrell Williams was getting recruited by a lot of teams trying to get him to come there. So, If they can figure that out, I mean, he's shown the ability to do it. It's just, like you said, the matter of Gruden's scheme, where he fits into that. But, I mean, if they can sync that up, he was, I mean, he was literally PFF's number one deep passer last year.
1: Nice, nice. Okay, so so we got some stats backing up that Derek Carr uh, prediction there. So, Ryan, why don't you tell us your your three fantasy fallers at the quarterback position now?
3: Yeah, so this is kind of just relative to adp more than anything i would say but deshaun watson is a very popular qb2 and i totally get the reasoning why behind it but it's just you know that offensive line i don't think they did really all that much to make up for it he was sacked 65 times last year it's saying and so if you take away 30 of those sacks that deshaun watson was undertaken he'd still be number 12 in most sacks allowed so that offensive line is just brutal. I mean, he's got all the weapons, so it makes perfect sense why you like him. But at QB2, with a guy who's torn an ACL in both of his knees before, I believe, that's just a lot of red flags for me. Um, so I'm kind of just staying away from him, especially at QB2 when you've got so many solid QBs later on in redraft. And then even in Dynasty, from a health perspective, there's some guys that, you know handful of guys that have the same amount of upside with less injury history and just overall on a better offensive line and have weapons around them, not DeAndre Hopkins level, but can still pr- provide decent return on QB position, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, Stompy, where that's you a, at with, uh,
2: with Watson? That's a little fire, um, but I, I, I'll add to it a little bit. You now have... Kiki Kuti, who got injured in what the first preseason game mm-hmm. and then and then DeAndre Hopkins is dealing with the shoulder issue and then uh, Will Fuller is coming back from an ACL and probably won't be 100% till middle of the season middle of the season at the earliest um so his pass catchers are struggling And honestly, that might be a good thing for Duke Johnson uh, in the future, but that's, I mean, different topic altogether. So yeah, there's definitely some questions. They did draft two uh, offensive linemen, but they were two linemen that were down on player rankings or on this, this class's rankings, actually, at least according to the draft network. So there are questions. I, I think he can overcome them, but there are definitely questions when it comes to the line and the health of the skill players surrounding him.
1: Yeah, and more to your point, Stompy, there's there's not much of a tight end there either. I mean, they got two young options with, uh, with Thomas and with Atkins, and neither of them have proven to be long-term options there. So, uh, yeah, the the weapons there banged up, and uh, and they don't have very many healthy ones. So that's that's kind of a, a, a knock against them. Again, I, I agree with you, Snopy. I think he can overcome those, but uh, but it's definitely going to be something to monitor when you're drafting a quarterback uh, that high. As high as you're going to have to take him if he's QB two, you know, you want a little bit more certainty there. At least that's what I'd be looking for. So that's that's an interesting one.
3: Yeah, and then so for my last two, these both these guys have gotten some negative attention on Twitter lately. I think one of them is newsworthy, one of them is mostly noise, and so the one that I think is important for contenders, especially in dynasty leagues, you know, or dynasty guys, um, is Phillip Rivers with that contract situation. Like, they've before the season, before, as last season was going on, they were talking about uh, an extension, like it's a foregone conclusion. Now they're coming out today and said they're going to play out this season, and then Talk about these contract talks. So, I mean, Philip Rivers, we know he's 37 years old. He's not a huge dynasty steal by any means. But these contenders, especially in Superflex, can pay cheap for Philip Rivers and have solid production, especially this year. Um, but if you're banking on him going two or three more years, kind of like I was heading into this news article dropping about just the Chargers' perspective on his contract, I think it's definitely important to note that he might not be on the Chargers next year if they're trying to get Melvin Gordon on the team, whatever it is. But from where they were eight months ago to where they are now, it's a much different tone from the management and the Chargers. So that's kind of where I am on Phillip Rivers. I'm If I'm a contender, I'm a little wary, but I also know I'm not going to get much for him. So it might just be a ride it out, sell high midway through the season, but I think it's newsworthy at the least.
2: So, I mean uh... – my question to you is then what do you think the charges do moving forward? If they don't decide to extend him or give him a new contract because they don't, I mean, they have a uh, Easton stick, which I mean, he's raw at best and needs at least, I, I would say a couple a few years to, to learn. And then, so next year, what do you have? I mean, maybe Teddy Bridgewater because he's on a one-year contract, but it seems like he wants to stay in new Orleans to hopefully become the starter next year. Uh, where do the, where do the chargers go if they don't give him, if they don't give rivers a contract.
3: Right. And so, I mean, they've got, they've got a deep, you know, one of their, their roster on paper is one of the best in the league. So I think they've got, They've got some firepower to make a trade if if a team's willing to. I don't think the Colts are going to give up set They seem to love him, putting that second-round tender, I believe, on him this offseason. Guys like you know Nick Mullins, I think Shanahan really loves him, and he was great last year in the time that he he was in there. But, I mean, they might have a guy that can hold them over. They're kind of in a win-now mode, though, as well. So, I mean, I agree that they should keep Rivers. It's just a matter of their tone changing from then to now. But... I mean, maybe a guy like C.J. Beathard on the Forty ers if they if they like what they see in him, I think they can get. I mean, Josh Rosen experiment. I I don't know if the Dolphins are tanking for Tua or what, but that might be an option as well. So it's complete speculation at this point, and you you know what you have in Rivers already. It's just a matter of making sure you're aware of that timeline as the season goes on.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's all really interesting. You're absolutely right that. The window is closing there for the Chargers, and I wonder if that does anything with the Melvin Gordon situation. But uh, let, let's move on to your next quarterback, Ryan, because this is a name I really want to talk about. I think uh, is drawing a lot of buzz in the community. So, who's, who's your last quarterback for us?
3: Yeah. So I think the the Kyler Murray stuff that's come out after Week Two of the preseason. Um, if you if you were out on Kyler Murray before when they got draft when they drafted him, that's fine. If you were on him before last night, I think you need to stay on him. I don't think preseason week two is the telltale sign of whether or not Kyler Murray is going to be solid on less than 10 attempts in a preseason game. So Kyler Murray, I'm, I personally like the prospect. I think it's a, a great idea they're doing in Arizona, whether or not it works out. I mean, I'm, I like the freshness of them bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, them bringing in Kyler Murray, The connection they had already. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm still, Thinking Kyler Murray's a solid investment. Nothing changed last night, but it's kind of crazy how much preseason Twitter can get almost bored or just desperate to justify an opinion right now in middle of August when the the real snaps haven't even started yet. I mean, next week if he gets extended action and he's not looking great, then sure there's there's definitely a reason to be concerned. But I don't think last night was any means of saying that those who are out on Kyler Murray were right or those who are in on Kyler Murray have more to prove. I think there's still a lot more football to be played.
2: Uh, and, and I think a lot of people need to remember that teams aren't throwing their play, all of their playbook out there. There a lot of vanilla stuff going on. A lot of guys working on things. Um, and I doubt Cliff Kingsbury wants to throw that play, his playbook out there. He, he doesn't want to show the NFL what he's bringing uh, and and if he is bringing that uh, bringing the offense he he ran in college into the mind um, so uh, and not overreact um, because we just don't know. I mean, maybe in in and I, I I don't really follow Cardinals all that much, but I mean I don't know how much news is coming out about like their practices, but I'm sure they look fine in practice and they just don't want to show everybody what's, what all he's, or at least Kingbury, Kingsbury doesn't want to show what all he has uh, uh, in store for the NFL this season. Yeah, it's interesting uh, watching
1: Kyler Murray's second preseason game. It, it definitely, what what kind of showed up there for me was the offensive line issues. And that's, uh, again, that was an issue last year with Josh Rosen. I feel like uh, Rosen isn't as good at uh, escaping pressure as Kyler Murray is and making plays on the run. So I think that's where Murray is going to be able to really make a difference on this team. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't draw any foregone conclusions off of, you know, uh, week two of the preseason, especially, I mean, in limited action, he he looked good in week one. So, you know, I, I don't know that we can draw any conclusions there. So, Um, No, that's an interesting list, Ryan. I really, uh, I I like a lot of those names. Stompy, what do you think of that list overall?
2: Yeah, there's, I mean, another one I would add is Dak. uh, Just because of the issue, the foot issue with Amari, Ezekiel Elliott not showing up to training camp. I had pegged Dak as a potential top five QB this season, but without his two main weapons i don't know what's going to happen so that's another faller for me i still think he can be a qb1 but i uh, without his, those two i i don't know if he can reach that qb top five qb this season but yeah i i like this list
1: yeah i very very solid list That's far as stack goes he'll be fine he has his wide receiver one and michael gallup so he'll be good um Stompy, let's go to you and your running back. Oh episode. yeah, I forgot.
2: I for no, I for you don't get to just toss that kind of stuff out there and move <laughs> on. I was, I, was I, f- I forgot how much you hate Amari Cooper.
1: Yeah, there's there's something going around on Twitter, and they call him the fantasy locust, and uh, and and I'm on board with that. The never Amari group is uh, has has recruited another member, so. Um, yeah, 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 I know, I know. I'm, I'm way too low on Amari, and everyone else isn't too high on him as a wide receiver one. Moving on, though, um, let's, let's go ahead to your running back. Let's Stompy. What do you got for us as far as uh, fantasy risers and followers at the running back position? Uh,
2: first, first one is uh, on Johnson. Um, I think a lot of people were on him already uh, since last year. He looked great last year. He was super efficient last year. I believe was near the top of the league. In terms of yards per carry, uh, showed a lot in the passing game, though Theo Riddick stole significant portions of the passing game from him. But now Theo Riddick's gone, and C.J. Anderson's the backup, and and some people will say, uh, who's the the other guy, Tyler Johnson? Not Tyler Johnson. T.J. Jones? I can't remember. Whatever the satellite back is, it doesn't matter. But Karyon is in for a large workload, like 300-plus touches type workload if he can stay healthy. And, I mean, it's a big F because he's definitely had his issues in college and now the, and now in his first season in the NFL. But I do believe that Karyon is one of those guys that can reach top 10 status this year if everything goes well
1: nice Ryan what do, what's your uh, what's your thoughts on carry on Johnson this year
2: yeah
3: so one of the things I think is so easily forgotten last year is just how much opportunity was lost to LaGarrette Blunt. even though he was pretty much a dead last in every stat that I've pulled from running backs this offseason he's still at over 150 carries so opening that up as well I think they saw just what carry on can do and so I, I I agree with Stompy. The opportunity is definitely there this year, and he has extreme upside in that run-first offense. Yeah,
2: right. Like, and that and that's another major point with Daryl Bevel coming in. They're going to be a, more run-heavy or more, I guess, balanced. But I mean, that makes it more run-heavy, which gives a lot more opportunity to those running backs and carry on. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. You, you guys said
1: everything. I think. The personnel signing, too, you know, with uh, Jesse James being signed and with T.J. Hawkinson going as high as he did in the draft. I think the writing's on the wall. This team wants to be a run-first offense, a ball-control type team with a defensive-minded head coach. So I think that just points to even more uh, work for carry on more uh, security that he's going to get a, a full workload. So, yeah, I, I love that one, Stoppy. Who do you got next for us?
2: So this is for you, James. It's Sony Michelle. Um a lot of concern with his knee in this offseason. I believe he had it scoped. Uh, I can't remember if that's correct or not. Is that right, James? Yes, it is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So yeah, he had a knee scope. Uh, and really I had two guys on this list before I decided to talk more about some other guys we don't normally talk about. I actually had Chris Carson on this list too, who has also started to look fantastic in camp. So, Maybe knee scopes aren't that serious, but regardless, Michelle has, I mean, all reports coming out of campus, he's looked like the lead back. He is a being used in the passing game, which he wasn't last year. I believe you had seven uh, receptions on 11 targets yet last year, but we know he can catch the ball from his time at Georgia. So if that is the case, we have seen, and, and I hate the argument and, and I think it's a lazy argument that don't trust Patriots running backs because they're just unpredictable. I don't think that's correct because there's all, I mean, the Patriots running backs have been like near the top of the NFL in terms of opportunity. I mean, I think in each of the last three or four seasons. And that includes like LeGarrett Blunt's 18 touchdown season, that includes James White's season last season um, we saw Rex, Rex Burke had been extremely successful in this offense over the last two seasons when he's on the field so I think and, and then Sony Michelle last year at the end of the season and in the playoffs he was he was extremely pro- prolific and I think that can continue into this season and it seems like the Patriots are moving towards a more run heavy offense. Uh, Tom Brady is 41 now. He's he's just not the quarterback he used to be. They don't have near the pass catching weapons that they used to have, especially with Gronk out now or Gronk gone now. So Sony Michelle could potentially run the ball 250 times, and with the way that team scores, he could get double digit touchdowns this season and be and it, and if he gets involved and let's just say he gets. 30 receptions this season, he could end up being a top eight, potentially top five running back. If, if he gets the volume,
1: Ryan, what's your thoughts on Sony Michelle?
3: Yeah. So I agree with the logic. I think that's very wise. I think that narrative is kind of lazy and to answer your question. Yeah. The Patriots opportunity, they've the team running back fantasy points the last five years, they've been top three every year. I think first either two or three of those years, So the opportunity is overwhelming. So Michelle's definitely a calculated risk in in terms of his health versus some other running backs health measuring the upside he's not one that I've found myself taking in drafts, but I have no problem taking him just for the upside alone. I I agree that they're shifting to that run heavy look and they're going to, they're going to put up points. They're the Patriots. Bill Belichick can game plan better than anybody on the planet. So yeah, I mean, if, if you're on Michelle, that's great. Like I I haven't found myself taking him personally, but, I mean, if he falls to me, I'm going to take him as well.
1: Stompy, just when I think you can't get any dumber, you go and do something like this. <laughs> totally redeem yourself, because Ugh. that was awesome, man. That so, I, I can't even add anything to what you said, because that's what I've been saying the entire time. So I, I love it. You can just go right to your next back, bud.
2: Uh, you're welcome, James. Uh, next one is Kalen Balage and it might be a little bit of hype coming out of camp, and I might be eating into the hype a little bit, but with the Kenyon Drake injury and the hype even before that injury that Bellage was basically sharing first team duties with Kenyon Drake, I just, uh, and in the way he looked, I mean, he scored a touchdown in their first preseason game. I don't know how he's looked tonight, but he's got the opportunity to be the lead back there. I think, I think Drake's got, has a role there. He's fantastic in space with the ball in his hands. Um, I believe he was the running back 14 last season, so we know he can produce, but it seems like that new coaching regime wants to give Belage the opportunity, and now he's getting the opportunity alone. And we—he's a physical freak. Like he's huge, can catch the ball, and I, he's very quick. He still need—I mean, I, I guess last year showed it, and coming out of college, he. He was very raw in terms of his running back skills, in terms of his vision, in terms of um, his ability to cut. But he's just got that those athletic abilities that you can't teach. And with, like I said, with that Patriot, well, it's not the former Patriots coaching staff coming in. It seems like they want to implement a somewhat of a Patriots type running back situation where Kenyon Drake might end up being that James White role. Kalen Balaj could end up being that Sony Michelle role. Um, and I just think that he's got the opportunity and he could run away with that opportunity.
1: Yeah. So Ryan, Kalen Balaj is, is a polarizing prospect. It seems like you're either on board with him or you're not. What's your stance on uh, on Kalen Balaj?
3: Right. So, so my running back model, um, on Twitter, it's my pin tweet. If you're just hearing about me on Twitter, um, but it's it's done pretty well at determining at least early success in the NFL within the first three years. And so Belage, he he was like a you know vanilla prospect. He was kind of had some traits that had promise, some traits that were lacking. So wasn't really sure where to place him. But with Kenyon Drake, that backfield split, you know, like Belage, he has the opportunity there now in Miami that he hasn't had. So he's a guy that I wasn't as high on his rookie year, but I ended up getting exposure to him just through so many leagues. And so all those shares I have right now, like I look like a genius for having him and people are asking about him all the time. And so Stompy, you're talking about his preseason game tonight and um, they actually didn't use him tonight. So I think that, I think that shows that, you know, he's, he's locked up a significant portion of that offense. He's important to them right now. And they they're, they already saw themselves lose Kenyon Drake and they're not really risking it with Balazs right now. They, they let Gaskin and Patrick Laird and Mark Walton get some carries and get some reps in. So I think Balazs has done everything he needs to do to prove it. He's, um, but even the opposing teams that are practicing with them are saying great things about Balazs. So, I mean, if you're, if you're looking to buy him, I think his price is still going to go up. So I think it's still safe to buy him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. I've, I've been on, uh, Bellage, uh cheap, um, because he went later in rookie drafts, uh, I, I was able to acquire him cheap uh, last season. So I definitely have some shares of Balaj. I'm hoping for the best. I kind of thought that his his you know uh, best-case scenario was going to be as a passing uh, pass-catching back. And what's really interesting is the only negatives I've heard about Balaj is that he's dropping some passes um, at camp. So that that was interesting to me because I thought that was the strength of his game. But yeah, it seems like the Dolphins are really, uh, really high on him. And uh, it seems like Regime comes into Miami and goes out of Miami, and for some reason none of them seem to want to trust Kenyon Drake all the time. There's got to be something there. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I definitely think Balaj will have a role who will be fantasy relevant.
2: All right, so next is more of a situation than anything, and it's one riser and one faller, and it's the Buffalo Bills situation. So we're getting (laughs) a lot of, I guess, talk from LaShawn McCoy that he's still number one. Um, I have doubts, especially after last season. I have doubts, especially after uh, they signed an older running back in Frank Gore, uh, and they drafted Devin Singletary. I also had doubts about Devin Singletary until I saw him preseason week one, and I know we got to tamp down the hype a little bit when it comes to preseason games, but the dude looked awesome. And he looked like he did at Florida Atlantic. Uh, He looked like the runner that we thought he was coming out. And then everybody was down on because he ran slow. He was a prolific producer at Florida Atlantic and he looked fantastic in preseason week one. And I think he's going to get all the opportunity in the world because like I said, LaShawn McCoy is old and injured Frank Gore is there and can replace that LaShawn McCoy role and can be a mentor to Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary has those young, fresh legs, um, and paired with Josh Allen, as much as I hate Josh Allen, he is a threat to run, and that can help only help Devin Singletary. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, what are your,
1: uh, your thoughts on that Buffalo uh,
2: backfield there? Yeah, so
3: this one I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think I'm just staying away from the Buffalo backfield. Um, a, a cheap, cheap flyer, I mean, just in terms of just handcuffs, just to hold during the off season and probably drop by week one. Uh, T.J. Yeldon's kind of interesting to me. But I think Singletary, since he's a rookie and flashy name, he's a little too expensive for me. Like, I referenced that running back model. Um, Singletary was actually in my bottom four of all the running backs drafted this year. So just I, I wish I saw more receiving work. I don't think that was his fault. I think that was just for Atlantic, not targeting running backs a lot um he had half the running back receptions but only two percent of his teams the last season so i think they just didn't utilize that so that's still to be seen uh i'm glad that he's looked good in the preseason though just because i was genuinely curious how he would be looking so it's interesting what Stompy said for sure but i just i'm not familiar with the buffalo backfield i can't trust what's going to happen there they've got frank gore there too so I'm just, I think the upside is just kind of limited in the short term. And if I'm going to look at him, I'm probably going to look at him next season. If the dynasty under disappointed in this year.
2: By the way, I'm not, I'm not investing in Buffalo at all. I hate, Oh right, right. Yeah. I hate that offense. Um, I think the only person I really would look at is Cole Beasley because he seems to be the safety valve for Josh Allen. Everything else on that offense is either questionable or just not good. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I agree. But I think Devin Singletary, more for in a riser's perspective, is looking to take a significant role in that backfield. Now, I don't know what that means, um, but that could be something that you invest in now. And he could end up being that the lead back there next year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually was very high on Devin Singletary when I watched film of him coming out. I, um, you know, obviously played at a small school. It's harder to evaluate sometimes those small school guys. Uh, but I believe he had a pretty good dominator rating, too. And he just seemed like he could run the ball in between the tackles. And I thought that part of his game would translate pretty well. Um, so, uh, Ryan, I think you and I are a little bit different, only because your model shows him, um, like you said, your running back model kind of showed him as uh, as being one of the uh, the, the lower rated guys, um, drafted, and, uh, and I felt, I felt like I would rather have Devin Singletary over Daryl Henderson, and I know that that's an unpopular statement, but from what I saw on film, at least, I, I felt like that was, that was kind of the way, um, the the way I was leaning, so, uh, I was able to invest in Devin Singletary early in the, um, in the rookie drafts pretty late, um, because he wasn't seen as a top, a top option, so, um, I'm, I'm happy to see his, uh, his value kind of kind of go up here, um, being part of that Buffalo running back. But I guess I guess we'll see kind of how that uh, how that depth chart adds up. So, uh, Stompy, what do you got next for us at running back?
2: I don't know if this was to try and get you riled up or other people riled up. I, w- I wish John was here so he could get a little bit riled up here. Uh, Carlos Hyde definitely a follower for me. Um, Darwin Thompson outplayed him. In their first preseason game, I know first, second, third team, whatever. Make whatever argument you want. But Darwin Thompson looked better than Carlos Hyde. There was a lot of I guess consternation about Hyde being out there as the with the first team after Damian Williams had come just had just come back from a hamstring injury. Um, and I for anybody who read into that, that was just, that was absolutely wild because I think it, Damian Williams had literally come back like two days before that game. So they weren't going to play him anyway. And then what do we hear that Damian Williams is starting to take more snaps from the first and he's now ju- practicing exclusively with the first team and Carlos Hyde. And I At this, I don't know, a few podcasts back, Carlos Hyde is not a good running back anymore. He is not a good running back. And Darwin Thompson is nipping at his heels to be the RB2 in this offense. And Damian Williams seems to just have taken over that role extremely or taking back that role extremely quickly. So I just, I don't think Carlos Hyde is anything at this point.
1: Brian, I'm going to assume that uh, you are all about fading Carlos side. Am I right
3: here? Yeah, you are correct. He he couldn't, he he had no relevance in Cleveland or Jacksonville when he was part of the team. Yeah, I think after 2016, I think that was the peak. And that was in a a Greg Roman offense that heavily used running backs more than any other team really had before. And he still hadn't gotten to a thousand yards. So. Yeah, I'm fading Carlos Hyde.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely coming around on the fade Carlos Hyde thing. For me, it's it, it, this whole situation was less about Carlos Hyde for me, and more about the fact that I think Damian Williams is replaceable, um, and that's that's a different topic. Um, but as far as Carlos Hyde goes in general, I think the writing's on the wall. Uh, I, th- I think you, you're right, Stompy. He's just he's not very good, um, and he's 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 worse than Damian Williams. So um, I think your point is well taken, and uh, Yes, I converted them. Yeah, I'll admit to I, I that. I will. I will, however, say that that the fact that uh, that other running backs not named Carlos Hyde um, are are showing out in that system basically tells me that uh, again, if Damian Williams gets hurt, I, I don't think that I sleep easy knowing that he gets that job when he gets back. Um, that's that's my problem with Damian Williams. However, with Carlos Hyde, your your point has been made. Yeah, so. Um, so I think we can move along here. Um, and then you can argue with this next week when John's back. Uh, but, uh, you got one last running back for us, don't you, Tom?
2: Yeah. So this one goes along with Sonny Michelle and it's Damian Harris. Um, and I don't, it's tough to say he's a, he's a faller. I, I know a lot of people were on him because of, him or uh, potentially him taking over that Rex Burkhead role, and I believe Rex Burkhead's still with the team, so maybe that's not even the case. Um, and I thought, well, I mean, and and now it just seems like that he is an insurance policy for Sony Michelle. Um, and I honestly thought he could be a potential league winner um, if Michelle were to get injured or that they wanted, or the Patriots wanted to rest him at the end of the season. But that doesn't seem to be the case, because he, uh, the news out of camp is he hasn't, I don't even know if he's taken a snap with the first team. So, I don't know what Damian Harris is. This might just be one of those insurance policies where Damian Harris isn't much of anything except for if Michelle gets injured and then he can become something. But right now I'm not investing in him too heavily at this point. Ryan, what do
1: you think? What do you think about uh, Damian Harris?
3: Yeah. So I, th- I think if you, if you're the, if you're drafting Sonny Michelle, I think you have to draft Damian Harris. Just he's got some of the most upside of any handcuff running back out there. I mean, I think he'll, I think he'll earn that handcuff status by the time anything would happen in new England. And I promise I won't talk about my running back model anymore after this, but uh, Damon Harris is one of the four prospects that had a success rate in my model. So, you know, his college production, Alabama, it, it looked great, but yeah, it's important to note that of the running back targets that were given out last year in new England, only one was lost this offseason. So the opportunity is scarce just from a current or last year's depth chart to now standpoint, but I think his talent will break through. I think he's a great handcuff. You should get him at the end of any, drafts you're doing right now if you're a sony michelle owner and dynasty owner and dynasty you've got to own damien harris as well so yeah insurance policy is a perfect way to put it
1: yeah yeah i like that too stompy i think i think the narrative has changed and i think you you kind of nailed that stompy because when damien harris was you know they I, I believe new England traded up to draft him um but regardless they drafted him early and i think the narrative was oh you know sony michelle look out um, basically, you're you know he's coming for your job type thing, and now the narrative is you know this ah uh, this is a nice handcuff to have, and I think Sony Michelle has changed that narrative with his play with a lot of the uh, you know the positive um, positive reports coming out of camp uh, with him being able to catch the ball. It seems like he's healthy. It seems like all those things are turning in the right direction. Uh, so I think that's kind of the way that's trending. So I think early it was hey man this this guy could be the replacement for Sonny Michelle, and now it's. Yeah, this guy's a nice insurance policy to have. So I think it's trending that way. Uh, So I agree with you, Stompy, that it's trending that way, and I agree with you, Ryan. He's definitely a handcuff that I want to have if I have Sony Michelle. So let's uh, let's move on, guys, if you don't mind. Let's get to the wide receivers and tight ends, and I kind of covered those. I cheated a little bit, so these are going to go pretty quick. Uh, First off for me, a wide receiver is Josh Gordon, and his ADP is rising because uh, we are recording this on Friday night, and uh, on the 16th at night, and it just came out today that Josh Gordon has been reinstated, which means people are going to be drinking that Kool-Aid. They're going to think that Josh Gordon is the Josh Gordon from five years ago um, when he was actually relevant in fantasy, and his ADP is going to rise. It it happens every time this guy gets reinstated, Um, and unfortunately that's been multiple times now. Um, So every time this guy comes back, uh, people are, are, are jumping on that bandwagon. So I'm interested to see what you guys think. Uh, let's let's start with you, Ryan. Ryan, what do you think about uh, Josh Gordon and uh, and his his current situation coming back and um, being reinstated?
3: Yeah. So I mean, New England pass catchers. I I, I think that it is shifting to a more run heavy scheme, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be any less valuable. New England pass catcher. I think they can still return decent value um, this year. And so I mean, Josh Gordon. We've seen we've seen him light it up before. We we know what he's capable of, um, and even last year he was not bad for joining the team midway through the season and kind of learning on the fly and a uh, offense complicated as New England. So I mean, if I'm like in dynasty leagues, I'm throwing shots at anyone who has Josh Gordon. I'm, I'm going to wait a day or two for the the hype to fade off from today. But yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy that I would want to have at at the end of my wide receiver depth that can provide some solid upside i think with the experience he's had in the nfl i'd put him right at and Keel harry's level right now just in terms of what he can do for new england's offense this year um but yeah i mean i think anyone who is hoping for jacoby myers as a breakout this year i think that's pretty much gone away as long as gordon's active
1: oh ryan you're killing me Stompy. save me please hey
3: Hey, I'm a, I'm an NC State alum, so it hurts me more, man. I promise.
1: Oh, all right. All right. Yeah, I can I could see that. All right.
2: So come on. <clears throat> um, so I think I believe Josh Gordon was a wide receiver two with New England last year when he in the games that he played with New England. Uh so that I mean that's interesting in itself. And I think this really kind of lowers Nikhil's hair Nikhil Harry a bit this season. Um, because I think Josh Gordon turns into the top outside receiver for the, uh, Patriots this year, but I, I just don't know how, I mean, I think he's got a, he, he doesn't have a super high ceiling because like Ryan said, they are run heavy. So I I still, he, he can probably be a wide receiver too, if all goes correctly or goes well. But honestly, the only pass catcher that I think is going to do really anything of note this season is Julian Edelman. Um, and James White a bit, uh, and then Josh Gordon probably more light, more likely a wide receiver three than anything.
1: Yeah, I could probably
3: gamble. Oh, sorry one one stat I will throw out: um, only three teams last year had five players get 100 ppr points from receiving and new england was one of those three teams so yeah floor seems high they spread the ball out well um they use a lot of guys really well um ceilings probably lowered with you know just the way they spread it out but yeah that floor is definitely there from a wide receiver three perspective
1: okay fair enough i think i can get on board with that even though i'm probably still a little lower i i, I can get on board with that thing that that group thing there um, so my next wide receiver, again, I, I'm telling you, I cheated here, and that's A.J. Green. And obviously he is falling. Um, you know, he got hurt in the preseason, the broken foot definitely um, made his ADP fall. But uh, not just that, but, I mean, it's it's been a little bit since we've had A.J. Green healthy for a full 16 slate uh, game slate here. Um, and so I think people overall are starting to get concerned. His, his age is... I mean, starting to get older, and and these injuries are starting to, to mount up. So I think people are starting to get a little concerned. It's not that he's suffered a lot of these injuries that are you know repeatable, but a, a foot injury to a wide receiver does make you you know kind of give you a, a second thought for that year too. So um, so where are you guys at with AJ Green? Now obviously, he's moving down rankings, but how how far down is he moving down your guys' rankings, Ryan? I mean, yeah. so uh,
3: oh.
2: So, no, go ahead, Ryan.
3: Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, one thing that's been a benefit as a Steelers fan is just fading Bengals in general. Just that hatred is a real thing, and it carries over to fantasy sometimes. But, yeah, A.J. Green, I mean, if I have him in Dynasty and there's someone who's still interested in the comeback for that, uh, I'm fine selling him at wide receiver three Dynasty price, maybe 30, low 20s, high 30s, somewhere in there. So, yeah, I mean it's it's I hate seeing it because AJ Green is a really solid dude from everything that I've ever seen from him. Um so you hate it for the player, but yeah, I mean I'm I'm trying to rid any shares. If if I had some, I'd be riding them.
2: I think I mean he was a wide receiver one when when he was playing last season. I and so I think his injuries have to drop him. Um I, I guess the situation kind of reminds me of Leonard Fournette where it's just like okay, the guy's going to be on the field 12 games. He's going to put up wide receiver, or running back one numbers uh, for those 12 games, but you're still going to miss four games. And I think that's the same with A.J. Green. You're missing four to six games a year. But in those games, you do get wide receiver one numbers. Now, how long that lasts, I don't know. But let's just say for the next couple of years. And if that's the case, I mean, I still think he's probably worth the fifth or sixth rounder. Like, he's not your wide receiver one maybe not your wide receiver two but as a wide receiver three and then you can get good value later on in the draft and get a wide receiver three that you can trust and then when AJ Green's in there he could be extremely valuable so yes his values a lot farther down uh than it was.
1: Stompy, I think you cut out there for a second. So yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna second everything you just said though. I, I agree with you. I think AJ Green is definitely worth that fifth, sixth round pick type of type of deal. Um, I I think uh, I think that's probably where I'm valuing him still. Um, and and you made you made some good points there, Stompy, In that, um, you know, AJ Green's you know value when he's on the field, he still puts up those wide receiver one numbers. It's just you know you you gotta you gotta understand if you're drafting them, that you're probably not getting them for 16 games because we just haven't seen it lately. So um, if you can accept that, I think, you know, as a wide receiver 5-6, uh, slash six, uh, or in the, I'm sorry, not a wide receiver 5-6, but in the 5th-6th round, you know, that's that's kind of the production that you're looking for and that you're getting. The only problem is, is that Tyler Boyd is definitely coming on, and so that scares me a little bit just because I do think, that if he starts taking a a bigger role of that offense, that they, uh, you know, Cincinnati eventually finds it a little bit easier to move on uh, from A.J. Green. So that's that's interesting. So um, I'm going to go ahead and move on to my next receiver. uh, And next, Tyreek Hill. And Tyreek Hill is interesting because I think Tyreek Hill's value, you know, at first, uh, you know, it it was going down because we all, you know, expected a suspension. And we all expected that that suspension was going to be pretty lengthy, right, with Tyreek Hill um that's that's kind of what we had expected um and then you know we didn't get it and then it came out you know that uh, that he's not going to get suspended and all of a sudden his value just kind of shoots through the roof again because you know he's still part of the same offense he still has Patrick Mahomes throwing in the ball and so we uh, you know I, I expect for his uh, ADP uh, to to really rise um from where it was and so again cheating a little bit here but uh Ryan what's your thoughts on Tyreek Hill?
3: Uh, if you if you got him in this offseason and he's uh, you know on your team now, I, it's it was a great great buy, great bargain of a price. I I saw his ADP drop, I think thirty or so places. Um, yeah, just kind of a sticky situation. Just to talk about the player in general, but I mean we we all saw Mahomes last year. We saw he'll be the, the the one or the two wide receiver one or wide receiver two overall based on scoring. So, I mean, I think. Even with the Mahomes regression, I, I have him dropping 50, 60 points this year in fantasy, and he's still 30 clear of any other QB. So, yeah, that offense is great. You know, the, he's he's electric piece of that offense. Um, I think it crushed any Mecole Hardman uh, believers for this short-term impact. But, yeah, I mean, Tyreek Hill's solid wide receiver one week to week.
2: Just so, I mean, you understand how, how much I like Tyreek kill as a fantasy football player. And I don't want people coming after me for whatever altruistic thing that you want to come after me for. Um, I took him as my number one pick in the drafting with giants five this season. Of course that has its own weird scoring settings like kick returns and or, or return yards and uh, bonus points for, uh, long touchdowns and stuff like that. So Tyreek Hill definitely caters to that. And I paired him up with Patrick Mahomes, so I stacked him with my first two picks. So that's how I feel about this offense. Uh, He is... uh, He's a math breaker. The guy is phenomenal. He's small, but he just does everything he needs to do to win. Uh, He's fast... And you just don't see guys like this be successful in the NFL very often. And he just breaks math at this point. And I think we all need to realize he probably, despite off field issues is probably arguably a top five wide receiver at this point.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you guys just said. If you could stomach having him on your team, um, then he's definitely going to be a top fantasy asset. No, no question about it. Um, so the next player I'm going to get to, it's the only tight end on my list and that's Mark Andrews and Mark Andrews. Um, after last year, he, he generated some quiet buzz about his play and this offseason it's, it hasn't been quiet at all. It's been very loud. Um, you know, the, the chemistry that he is said to have with Lamar Jackson, what he's doing in training camp, what he's doing in practice on a daily basis. A lot of people are on Mark Andrews. Now I am one of them. I, uh, uh, was, uh, one of the few that was on him, uh, in rookie drafts last year. Um, in that in that tight end class, so uh, Mark Andrews is a guy that I I uh, I've seen rise uh, up uh, up draft boards, and he's definitely a guy that, uh that more people are talking about this time, uh you know, uh, right now than they were at this time last year. So, Ryan, what do you think about Mark Andrews, and where do you have him ranked?
3: Yeah, uh, I love Mark Andrews. I think he's a top ten dynasty tight end going forward. I mean, after that first four, five, six guys, it's kind of just a uh, huge cliff anyway. So I think anywhere that you believe in a tight end after that is a fair ranking. So yeah, top top eight to twelve tight end, definitely a tight end one this year. Um in my opinion. Um we saw that chemistry with Lamar in that limited time. Um there's a bunch of rookie right receivers coming around and in Baltimore with Marquise and Miles Boykin. So I mean Mark Andrews is a trusted source right there. If these rookies are taking some time to get He's still Lamar, like in in playing speed with pads on, um, and so I'm I'm working on a stat right now to try to better quantify yards per catch, yards per carry, things like that. And so it's it's called Field Hog, and it's about how much of the field um, a player is making is occupying based on a like a target target basis. And so Mark Andrews is second among that that stat in the entire league. So I mean per target, he's taken he's claiming at least. of that field, like on an average basis, which is just ridiculous. The only person higher than him was Tyler Lockett. And we saw how crazy efficient he was last year. So Mark Andrews is super talented. He can do a lot uh, getting himself open and after the catch and in an offense, a shorter offense like um, Baltimore. I think he's a smash tight end play in a weak bottom of the tight end one barrel.
1: Nice, nice. I like that you're coming up with that. I'll definitely be looking for that. Uh, that'll be interesting, Something What do you think about? Uh, I know you know you're high on Lamar Jackson. What about uh, Mark Andrews?
2: Honestly, I, I love Lamar Jackson. He is underrated as a thrower, which means that I think, or that I like his pass catches this season. I mean, I love Mark Andrews. I was with you in terms of the. Um, on him as a rookie, being on him as a rookie, I I actually took him the Scott Fishbowl last season. Um, so in in all all news coming out of camp, is he's been absolutely dominant, and Lamar and Andrews have kept up that chemistry that we saw at the end of the season last season. So I I, I before I mean early in this this preseason I had predicted that he would be a tight end one this season, and I don't think anything has changed from that. I think it only makes my conviction about that stronger.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I, I like what both of you guys are saying about Mark Andrews. I couldn't agree more. Uh, my next two guys on this list are, are fallers, and uh, next uh, guy is a guy who I'm very high on, but unfortunately I think uh, he's falling because people are seeing the situation uh, that he's in, and that's Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay is a guy who I think is tremendously talented. I think he's the number one wide receiver in Detroit. He was a guy I was on early last year too. as the, the 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 one receiver I wanted in Detroit, and I think if he was uh, if if things were in you know in Detroit, I think if things were like they were a couple of years ago, where this was a pass-first offense, Kenny Galladay would be talked about a, a whole lot. However, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think Detroit's going to be a run-heavy team. Um, Matthew Stafford has taken a couple steps backwards, and maybe that's just because of the scheme, um, but we're definitely seeing that. So uh, Kenny Galladay is falling down rankings. I just saw a poll where people were taking Chris Galladay over, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Chris Godwin over Kenny Galladay, um, you know, straight up in trades. So um, that, that, to me, was interesting, and I definitely think Galladay is falling. So, guys, what are your guys' thoughts on Galladay? Ryan, we'll start with you.
3: Yeah, so funny that you say that, because three weeks ago, I actually traded Chris Godwin for Kenny Galladay in a dynasty league. I mean, granted, I do have Mike Evans in that league, so I was trying to get some diversification. But still, I think those are two fairly priced assets right now, the way that things are trending, you know, just from what we're hearing out of camp, the way the offenses have looked. But I think one important thing with Stafford um, We just, you know, the personal life last season is like, it was just incredibly tough to even read about. So, I mean, I think that's something that shouldn't be ignored. I I don't want to take a really terrible personal situation and turn it into fantasy spin. But I mean, I think it's a real thing for, you know, the NFL team as a whole and the way that that offense is schemed. I think it is run first, but and I know the NFC North corners are pretty tough, but I mean, I still think Galladay's got the—he's he's still a great prospect. Uh, Stafford, I expect better things from him this year, just with everything seemed to be sorting itself out um, another year under the under the board for Galladay. And he, he still produced pretty well last year, even with everything that was going on. He wasn't a bust by any means. He still was decent on your roster. So, I mean, I, I still like him going forward. I think he's— I'm hoping he's priced near his floor just for the years that Stafford has left, but I am worried about that floor just kind of bottoming out with that Detroit offense. So I'm, I'm kind of torn on him. So I'm curious to see what Stompy says too.
2: Honestly, I have not wavered on Galladay. Um, I believe a while back I said he could be a wide receiver one. And I don't know if I've wavered on that. And it's basically a lot of what, um, Chris just brought up that, or sorry, Chris, I just called you Chris. Ryan just brought it up, idiot. Um, but, he, I mean, he had his wife's brain tumors, and he had a broken back, not that, him being Stafford here. Um, and Galladay still produced last season, not to mention that they went through some stuff with trading golden Tate away. And then Marvin Jones being um, injured and then carry on Johnson being injured. That offense went through some hell last season. And now <clears throat> that they should be relatively healthy, Marvin Jones is back. So you don't have Galladay being basically on an Island out there now carry on Johnson's back. So they can't just, uh, keep, I, I mean, they can't keep minimal men in the box and, and, Uh, bracket Galladay I think he's still got a pretty high ceiling and he's still the wide receiver one in that offense and if I and I expect Stafford to bounce back and I think Galladay goes with him I mean mind you he had a thousand yard over a thousand yards last season and I can't remember how many touchdowns but I think that's kind of his floor at this point and I still think he's got kind of a 1,200 double-digit touchdown type upside. Yeah, not yet, and I
1: agree with what both of you guys are saying as far as that offense goes. Um, I, I think we've seen him drop an ADP, and I don't know that it's just, and I think we're probably all on the same on the same page saying that we're probably, you know, where we, where we were last year on him or close to it. So um, I'm going to get to my last guy. My last player is another guy that's falling, and that's Dante Pettis. Um, there's a lot of stuff coming out of 49er camp just – Based on his performance in training camp and that sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of, of receiving options there in San Francisco that we just we just don't know a lot about. Uh, Godwin is a guy that's probably the most proven there. But I mean Jalen Hurd's a guy that a lot of people are high on. They drafted Debo Samuel very early. It, it's really interesting to see how these receivers are going to be used. George Kittle obviously is a target hog too. So um, you know, with, with all that being said, if Dante Pettis isn't showing well in training camp. He's definitely a guy that's falling down uh, most people's boards. He's actually falling down mine too a little bit. And I'm a little concerned because I was high on Dante Pettis coming out last year and uh, maybe not so much right now. So uh, Ryan, uh, Stompy, one of you guys, can one of you guys stop me off this ledge or are you guys with me? Are you guys uh, dumping Dante Pettis as well?
3: Uh, So I've I've actually never been a huge Dante Pettis guy. Um, Just... I'm not really sure what it is. I just can't really get myself around to the hype that he's generated, you know, on main dynasty circles from the ranks to the tweets to the highlights. Uh, Just never really quite saw it for me. I didn't think he has the ability to be a lockdown wide receiver one. Um, And so and I think this year's draft kind of showed that with two wide receivers taken in the top three rounds. I think Kittle is a reliable fantasy asset this year. But then if you're trying to figure out how Pettis, Samuel, Hurd, Coleman, McKinnon, Brita, you know, all those guys like Shanahan's a super creative offensive mind. And so he's going to he doesn't care about our fantasy teams. He's going to he's going to deploy them in the most creative way possible that creates the most mismatches for that team. And their rushing yards last year, I think, was number one as a team. So they've got that rushing floor too. They've got a lot of rushing yards, um, and they they like to use. He loved Tevin Coleman in Atlanta. So I think some of the targets will go that way. Um, you know, Heard, I re, I'm really high on Heard this year. I don't know about a fantasy asset, but as a football player, I think he's a stud. Um, so with all those guys around, I think Kittle's going to get force-fed some targets, um, deservedly so after breaking the record for tight end yards last year. But after that, all of those targets that are going out in San Fran, um, I'm just kind of I'm kind of scared to invest a pick anywhere near where Pettis is going right now, just with the way that I feel like Shanahan could spread that ball out. What
1: do you think, Stump? Are you with us, or are you going to try to talk some sense into us?
2: I am not. Uh, I think Ryan brought up a very good point, and the main point is they – this is going to be so cliche, but there are a lot of mouths to feed there. There are a lot of pass catchers, a lot of very good pass catchers. I mean, Debo Samuel basically profiles as the same type of pass catcher as Dante Pettis. And then, lest we forget, like Marquise Goodwin, who showed uh, chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo in 2017. Um, and then and then you brought up Kittle. Jalen Hurd is kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades super athlete. And then you got the three pass catching backs. Like I don't know how the how they Shanahan's going to deploy all of these guys. But to me, that means that Dante Pettis. I mean, he's going to get t- target siphoned away from him, and not to mention that he's been rough in camp. I mean, I can't remember the exact stat, but I thought it was like he's caught nine of twenty two balls thrown his way in camp. This was a few days ago when this news started coming out, and then the other aspect is I don't like Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback. He had that five game stretch with San Francisco in 2017, where he threw for over 1500 yards in five games, but his touchdown interception ratio wasn't good. Uh, Last year, he didn't start off spectacularly and and, and then he got injured, um, which does affect quarterbacks. I mean, look at what, what happened to Carson Wentz this last season or yeah, this last season, but, I mean I just the way that this offense runs it they run the ball they have a lot of running backs that they they want to deploy they have a lot of pass catchers that they need they want to use and I just don't like the quarterback so yeah I I think Dante Pettis is not going to live up to his ADP this season Wow, interesting.
1: So, we are part of the group thing. We agree with, with most. We we see that uh, ADP falling for Dante Pettis, and we're on board with it. So, that's interesting. All three of us kind of agree on that. Um, so, in the interest of time, we have prepared some other lists, and this is a freestyle list. So, we did three, uh, we each did uh, another top six list or a six for six, and uh, we just basically did it on whatever we wanted. So, uh, Ryan, what we're going to do, we're going to start with you. Go ahead and list all six of your lists. Uh, let us know what the list is, and all six of them, and then we'll comment kind of afterwards. So, uh, Ronnie, go right ahead with your next six for six.
3: Yeah, So my my first time on the Superflex show, I gotta I gotta stay on brand here. I'm, you know, I'm a stats guy. Build, been building projections this year. Been doing a lot of player threads, using all these stats. And every all the time, I get asked, you know, what what stats are you using? How much does it cost? Uh, where can I find it? You know can you get can you get me these databases and so on, so my my top 6 freestyle is just the 6 best web stats websites that i use that are all free so the uh, first one's profootballreference.com um, just they have insane player data from targets to catches to receptions to a uh, list of how many players have had 5 straight 1000 yard receipts receiving seasons, stuff like that. Like they, they can pull up pretty much anything that you're looking for. So reference dot profootballreference.com is the first one. Uh, second one's NFL savant.com. They're a great resource that I don't see on Twitter nearly enough as they deserve to be. They have all the play by play data, um, for every season dating back to 2014, I believe. So if you're in stats, trying to get, make your way into the stats and the fantasy industry, uh, definitely recommend nfl savant.com download that pop it in excel and you can clean that up in about an hour and so and then something that i use for strength of schedule kind of tweaking projections a little bit uh sharp warren sharp is a great twitter follow if you're not following him as well um but his his strength of schedule for rushing teams pass passing teams receiving you know all that he his data is great, and so that's something that I use weekly in my fantasy leagues as well. If I'm looking to break a tie between who I'm starting in my flex, you know, I'll just take a look at how that team strength schedule is looking this year. So sharpfootballstats.com is the third one. Uh, CFB Stats CollegeFootballStats.com they have great college situational data. You know, first down receptions, second down receptions, red zone receptions. They have everything that you could be looking for for free amazingly um they should be charging plenty of money for that but some reason i can get it we you can all get it for free so i've been using that in my wide receiver models on twitter um and so that's just helped me get a lot more accurate a lot more predictable in my models year after year um fifth one dynasty league football is great for any fantasy hunter to have um just for you know checking checking what the price of your fantasy stock essentially of your player is looking like in these ranks and the The Trade Analyzer is amazing. I use it all the time. Uh, Just It stays up to date. It factors in picks. So that's just a great resource. ScienceLeagueFootball.com. That's where you can find articles by myself as well. And then NFL Next Gen Stats um, is limited data for free, but there's still a lot of good free data, like men in the box stats. You can see Royce Freeman leading the league in eight men in the box stats, maybe contributing to his rushing. Maybe we'll see a bounce back this year if they can... Uh, spice up, you know, when, no, don't just run it whenever Royce Freeman's out on the field. So those six resources are great. If you're trying to do some stats work on Twitter or in fantasy articles, I uh, highly recommend those six. I use them all the time.
1: All right, Ryan, I tell you what, that, that's a pretty good list there. I, I can't say anything bad about any of those, but Stompy, he missed one. And I, I'm, I'm going to throw it to you so you can, you can let him know which one he missed. Uh,
2: what if... I'm just gonna ask it. What if I had said I don't know?
1: Um, then I would have. Am I not? People, am I not a good advocate
2: have, for the website I,
1: I write I for? Would, I, would have, I would have moved along, and you would have heard it after the podcast for sure. Um, but no, go 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 ahead because I knew I know you're not going to do that.
2: Well, I'll, I'll say this: I I use Pro Football Reference almost every day. I use Sharp Football Stats at least weekly. Um, but you did forget FF statistics. And I think personally, and there might be bias here, I think has the best fantasy football stats out there. Um, in terms of like points per opportunity, and you can start looking at QB histories and coaching histories. There's just a lot of things that um, cite, uh, that are unique to FF statistics. Um, and then the other one, I like to plug is football outsiders for things like uh, defensive stats and and offensive line stats and stuff like that. I I use that a ton, especially, especially in season.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Those are two great ones as well. So yeah, uh, I love using FF's take six week by week for uh, starting questions and yeah, great calls.
1: Ryan, there's, there's only six. That's the problem. And I'm sure you use several. So, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the tough part of the six for six, man. You got to pick your, your top six, but stompy, uh, let's get to your six for six here. What did, what did you, uh, what are you going to prize this with here?
2: Mine, my six are my top six favorite non-fantasy or football related podcasts. So my number one, uh, Non fantasy related podcast is hardcore history. Uh, I know a lot of people don't find history fascinating, um, but the host Dan Carlin makes history fascinating. Sometimes he'll take one story uh, and and do a four hour podcast on it. Sometimes he'll take casts, and it's honestly the best podcast, like series of podcasts I've ever listened to. And it just makes you enjoy history. And I highly recommend it. I know it's a long, like long uh, podcasts, but they are fantastic. So if you have to drive somewhere, if you're traveling, if you have some mindless stuff to do at work, definitely recommend Hardcore History. Uh, Number two, this is pretty, pretty chalk here, but the Joe Rogan podcast, I've learned a lot. In terms of health stuff. um, He has a lot of awesome guests on there. Uh, Comedians. Scientists. Doctors. uh, Motivational people in in the world. It's just. It's an entertaining podcast. And you you can learn a lot from it. Uh, Third. Is the last podcast on the left. It started out as kind of a horror podcast. But it turned into. uh, They talk about like serial killers. And aliens and supernatural and all sorts of stuff. So basically anything you would associate with like science fiction, they will talk about, but they also do, like I said, uh, things about murders and stuff like that. And I, I really enjoy, um, true crime stuff. Um, next is the dollop. This is basically two comedians. One guy writes a, or, or researches a, not a, a not unknown, but not very well known story in history. Reads it, and the uh, both of them just riff on it. It's it's a hilarious podcast. You learn a lot about history, but uh, you you also laugh at the same time. Uh, number five is your mom's house. Uh, it's uh, comedian Tom Segura and his wife Christina Pajitsky. they They're fantastic. It's kind of, they're kind of a goal relationship for my girlfriend and I, cause they, they're, they're hilarious. Um, they basically just start making fun of people on the internet and all the video, weird videos out there and they have funny guests and stuff. And it's, it's just a, it's a good time. It's a good listen. And then finally, and this is a weird one. Uh, it's called my dad wrote a porno and a guy, uh, discovered that his dad had start wrote some erotic fiction Uh, and basically he and two friends read a chapter at a time and just make fun of like all of the words that are used by his dad to describe things. And it's, uh, I mean, that one's absolutely hilarious as well.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Stompy. I'm not going to lie. The last six for six that we did, um, you had television shows on there and I had never seen Schitt's Creek. I watched it and I am a huge fan now. So you you have garnered you, you've gotten somebody who's going to follow kind of your recommendations right here. So um, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I have listened to two of these, um, but the other four I haven't. So um, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna have to have to give hardcore history a, a, a listen. You know, because that uh, that one kind of stood out to me. What about you, Ryan? Are you big into listening to podcasts?
3: Uh, yeah, I love I love podcasts. Just driving around, uh, I've heard Hardcore History and Joe Rogan podcast. I recommend both those as well. Uh, didn't really know where you were going with that list when you had my dad wrote a porno and your mom's house right there, so I didn't know where that was going. But <laughs> I, I, I like I like the recommendations. I'll check them out.
1: Yeah, I'm liking that those two are separate podcasts because uh, together that uh, that makes that paints a really weird picture, right? So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll go to my last six for six. And uh, guys, I, I, you can feel free to, to tune me out if you're not a wrestling fan, because I, I'm a huge wrestling fan, and I recently um, was asked kind of my favorite matches of all time, so I, I actually decided to make it a list. So my, my top WWE slash WWF uh, matches of all time um, in a list here. So my first one is at WrestleMania 17. It was the main event. It was Stone Cold Steve Austin against The Rock. Those guys faced off a ton. Uh, they were iconic superstars in the same era, uh, and they they faced off at a few different WrestleMania's in the main event. This one was especially especially memorable because Stone Cold Steve Austin, who kind of made a career out of uh, being the anti-authority type guy, and and going head-to-head with his boss, Vince McMahon, um, actually actually turned bad. He, he turned heel and he joined Vince McMahon, who helped him win the title in this match. So it uh, was definitely a memorable match for me when I was younger. I remember watching that and not, couldn't really believe what I was watching uh, when I was in my teens. And this was kind of the uh, that era, uh, the, uh, the era, the attitude era type thing. So that's the first match on my list. Second match is uh, I I was much younger at this point. It was Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart in the what became the first ever Iron Man match. Basically, an Iron Man match is a match that lasts for an hour, and whoever has the most pinfalls after an hour wins the match. Um, After an hour of going back and forth between these two iconic superstars, it was tied at zero to zero. There was no pinfalls for the entire first hour. Shawn Michaels ended up winning this classic um, in overtime and extra time, I guess you could put it, uh, with a pinfall. So that, that match stuck with me, um, for a long time, uh, when I was younger. Third match is another Shawn Michaels match. It was Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10. This one, a lot of people remember. This is one that Shawn Michaels was suspended, um, as the Intercontinental Championship, champion. Um, he refused to give up the belt, and so they made another belt and made Razor Ramon the Intercontinental Champion. When Shawn Michaels did return, he, um, kept the belt he kept kept his belt and kept calling himself the intercontinental champion so in the first ever ladder match they put both belts hung them high above the ring and said whoever climbs this ladder and brings them down ends up being the intercontinental champion it was a fantastic match razor Ramon ended up winning uh, It was kind of a career defining moment for him it was a very fun match um and so that one stuck with me my fourth match on here is ricky the dragon steamboat versus the macho man randy savage you got to get back in your time machine and go all the way back to WrestleMania three for this one. Um, This was when wrestlers were, were bigger, you know, they were heavyweights. If you weren't a heavyweight, you kind of didn't belong. If you didn't fight that, that style, if you didn't have those body slams and that type of thing, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was anything but that. He was a high flyer, and I always always appreciated that type of wrestling, that Macho Man could wrestle that style, too. They put out an instant classic and, I think, redefined kind of what it meant to be a champion. So that was, that was an iconic match for me. Number five is the most modern here, and this is a uh, match on NXT. It was Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa at NXT TakeOver New Orleans. It was an unsanctioned match. They basically did everything. I mean, they tore up... Uh, Tore up padding and and we're doing moves on concrete. It was uh, it was insane. Really great match. Good back and forth and a lot of fun to watch. It was a little bit more modern um, and uh, and just just very entertaining the entire time. Kind of sitting on the edge of your seat, wondering what was going to happen. And the last match on here for me is one that I think anybody who even watched wrestling just a little bit um, will remember, and that's Mick Foley versus The Undertaker at King of the Ring in 1998 in a Hell in a Cell. This is the infamous match where the Undertaker throws Mankind or McFoley off the top of the cell. He lands through a table, and the next image we see is him laying down there with his his tooth had fallen out and was stuck in his beard, and uh, and he's smiling sadistically. Um, he actually got stretchered away from that and got off the stretcher, finished the match, went back up on top of the uh, went back up on top of the uh, the Hell in Cell, the cell there, and the Undertaker ended up choke slamming him through the cell. Um, into the ring, and that wasn't enough. No, because to finish him, he actually had to choke slam him once more, with tacks on the ground. So through some tacks. So um, the Undertaker ended up winning that match. That was kind of the birth of what became uh, McFoley uh, as a WWE character. And so years later, you kind of get to look back on that and realize that that was kind of his coming out moment. And uh, and those are matches that stuck with me. Obviously, I've been a wrestling fan for a long time. I just uh, have fond memories of my dad taking me to these events when he was around. So it's something that kind of stuck with me because of that. So um, that's my six for six there. Guys, you guys have any, I, I know not everyone's a wrestling fan. You guys have any fond, uh, fond memories or anything uh, about wrestling uh, back back uh, when, when maybe you were a kid and maybe it, it appealed to you a little bit?
2: Kind of the heyday of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So like late '90s to early 2000s wrestling, I really like Rey Mysterio. The the um, Hardy uh, Hardy Boys were kind of the tag team to live up to um, the Rob Van Dam stuff like that. The, I that was kind of the heyday of wrestling for me. Um, that I really enjoyed. These days it's a little bit rough for me, but. Um, i did enjoy it for for a time there uh the rock being my favorite wrestler of all time
1: yeah that was definitely the the golden era in my in my opinion as well now it's kind of gotten to a little bit more of a pg type thing and it's it's a little tough to watch but uh but what about you ryan do you have any fond memories when you were a kid of wrestling or um or is that uh, is that something that kind of kind of missed you when you were younger
3: yeah, so that was a little bit before my time. I'm a I'm a late 90s baby. But uh, the only thing I do know is that none of them have uh, championship belts quite as good as Stompies last year.
2: And, and, I mean, I tried to rival Kurt Angle with the singlet. I'm not as tore up as him, but.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was something. I've, I've <laughs> it listening. was something.
2: You're missing a couple gold medals too,
1: but that's all right. It's all right. You had the title, so you you kind of kind of got away with that one. So, um, so yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, you can find Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Miller NFL. And Ryan, again, uh, one more time, tell everyone where they can find your work.
3: Yep. So, Twitter uh, post three or four times a week, pretty consistently. And then I'm going to be um, recapping some of those articles, posting some more in-depth research on those. If you like those threads over at DynastyLeagueFootball.com. So I'll, I'll be tweeting those out too when they hit. So just follow me on Twitter and you'll be up to date
1: awesome awesome so we're going to call it a wrap right now but before we do we want to ask you all for a favor please do us a huge favor and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already also if you can give us a rate and review some platforms allow that if they do that will help us tremendously get more people involved and understand what we can do to better meet your needs we would like to thank the dlf family of podcasts uh, you can subscribe to the dlf family of podcasts as well to uh Get all of the excellent DLF podcasts that are on that feed. Um, Also, feel free to tweet us all of your trades. You can tweet us at Show, or you can tweet us individually. You can tweet Stompy at FF underscore Stompy, or is it at FF Stompy? Just FF Stompy. Damn it,
2: James! F- Damn it, James! At FF
1: Stompy, you could tweet, you could tweet him. It should be at at, at the brunt, but at FF you could tweet him. Uh, you could tweet me at uh, underscore James the brain, or you can tweet uh, John at SuperflexDude. Dude. Also, tweet Ryan at Ryan Miller NFL. Uh, we can always retweet those. We can uh, share feedback. Heck, Ryan might even give you a chart or a graph uh, to to show why he voted the way he did. So we can always help you get more trades. Um, and get more, more feedback on those. And as always, thank you again for listening. And above all else, stay sexy and super flexy.